Welcome to Soccer Better Season 3. We're Liz and Laura Ellen. Liz is a lawyer and Laura Ellen is the scientist. We've put our education to use by digging into the analytical side of all things soccer. Each episode, we discuss a piece of soccer or sports research. Join us as we discover how we can all soccer better. We are back with episode three of season three of Soccer Better. And Liz, I think this is the third week in a row that you have chosen the article that we're talking about. Living on the edge, man. And I guess I should say not week, but uh, third episode in a row. There we go. These don't come out yeah, weekly. So we've got the, the three, three, three going on. So that's good luck. So this is going to be just amazing. Just amazing. Well, we're so excited about it. This episode's article is entitled Overcoming American Exceptionalism and Media Antipathy via the Digital Pitch, Soccer, Adnitudinal Change, and Video game play oh my goodness we've talked about it the first two episodes (laughs) or yeah episodes of this season but we really need to do something about the length of titles of yeah we're adding academic articles (laughs) this is on everyone's to-do list get it together academics yes everyone and by everyone we mean me um but we shouldn't we shouldn't say too much because the author Dr. Uh, Jeffrey Kaysing, uh, who is a professor at Arizona State University, was very kind and sent us the PDF for the article. Um, so just as like a disclaimer, if there is a research article that you find, um, there is contact information for typically the first author on the paper. And more times than not, if you email them and ask them for a PDF of their uh, research article, they'll send it to you. Uh, but thank you to uh, Jeffrey. We really appreciate it. And so let's dig into this article. Liz, uh, can you tell me what was like the thing that stood out to you that you were like, oh, you know what we need to do? We need to talk about this on Soccer Better. Well, it was completely different than a lot of the other articles that you typically look at. I mean, I think it's very hard to fall, very hard. It's very easy to fall into the hole of looking at um, the same stuff over and over again when you're trying to find academic articles about soccer just because there isn't a huge breadth of them. And this was just um, very unique. Also, I mean, for our supporters group, I know a number of them play video games and there are regular you know, FIFA tournaments. Um, I don't play very many video games. I definitely have never played FIFA, but bringing together those two worlds thought it'd be interesting to read something that was just, you know, completely off the charts for me. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And when you sent me this article, I was like, oh, this is fascinating. And I was really excited to read it. And it turned out to be a, a great read. So so the premise of this article is really, it's, it's really seeking to drill down to this question. Does the proliferation of FIFA, the video game FIFA, in the United States... Has that changed the way that people, particular pe- particularly people who play FIFA, has that changed what they think about soccer? And is there some relationship between people's uh, uh, playing of FIFA and their interest or perceptions about the game of soccer? And I thought he did a really nice job in the introduction of his article really kind of setting the stage and talking about, you know, soccer 
hasn't been very common in the U.S. Uh, you know, people much prefer baseball or American football. Um, and that's kind of been the historical trend. Although, I don't know if you caught this. Um, oh, where was it? Uh, oh, dear. I think, like, in, like, the second section of the introduction or... Well, I don't know where it was now. I'm like, oh, no, it was on the in the second paragraph. It was talking about how that the there was someone who commented that the fans on Twitter during the 2014 World Cup match in Brazil were more informed than in pre previous years. And I was like, now that's interesting. I don't know how you could make that assertion. I don't like I don't know. Like, how do you compare that? Right. Twitter hasn't been around that long. But I was like. Okay, that's interesting. So people on Twitter are informed. It says well, it here. I think it's about soccer <laughs> specifically. So they were probably instead of saying just you know, go USA or I don't understand soccer. Please explain it to me. Are you sure this isn't hockey? Where's the ice? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> instead of those questions, maybe they were talking about you know, oh my God, he was offside or that was a bad tackle. You know, using some of the lingo. Let's give him a little credit here, Laura Ellen. No, I thought I when I read that, I just I chuckled and wrote a note to myself that I obviously could not find later. Was there? Oh yeah, I definitely noted it. Like it, that is part of how you find this information is fascinating. Yeah, and I I think one of the other things that I found really interesting. So he talks about kind of how soccer isn't super common, but it's, or popular, but it's been growing in popularity over recent years. And then he transitions to talking about FIFA, the video game, and how that has grown in popularity, which is something that's really interesting because my partner, right, really enjoys playing FIFA. Although I will say that uh, when uh, he discovered Fortnite, uh, the amount of FIFA playing decreased significantly uh, because it was just all about Fortnite, which, you know, I am not a video game player. I think maybe I tried to play FIFA once and it was just really bad. And my player was just kind of going around in circles. Um, but I do know, right, like he talks about how built into the game are these like real world scenarios and the way mm -hmm. that they have the trailers for the game and, and the ways in which that they have player ratings for the game and how they try and adapt the player ratings to how the players are doing throughout the season, which I know because my partner tells me, you know, how things are going based on how so-and-so has an injury or whatever, um, has really made it so that what's happening in FIFA tends to be pretty close to what's happening in real life with these players, which I think is a really interesting connection. What did you think about kind of his introduction I mean, I think that the introduction was great. It was interesting to see how they uh, chose to pick individuals to participate. So trying to pick individuals who are both familiar with FIFA and video games in general, and those who were not um, involved in you know, playing video games to any extent. Um, it was like, I knew that this was going to be an article that was probably more modern for lack of a better word but to see regular references to oh we approached people through reddit and we approached people through like these different social medias that i haven't seen in in other articles that we've read because it has nothing to do with how soccer is played 
um, it was really fascinating for me to see those references and to feel more of a connection with this article, um, even though I don't have a background in, you know, research or gameplay. So, or playing soccer. Why am I on this podcast? <laughs> That's true. Uh, Liz, let's let's dig into that. You no. know, don't, don't don't dig it too deep. Please don't get rid of me. No, 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 no. We're not. No one wants to listen to me talk to myself. Uh, but it was very interesting to see those references. Um, but I think just I think that it's worth noting. My favorite part of the article was that he also gave other researchers homework and told them that what they should do. And so he's my favorite because I'm all for assigning homework that I'm not going to do for other researchers to complete so that I can then talk about it. Well, I think you had a bias already because he was kind enough to send, respond to your email and send you uh, the PDF. No, but, but I agree. I mean, I thought his recruitment method, so like looking through Reddit, reaching out to friends and colleagues, like reaching out to organizations and, and all this. I mean, that's just like... That's really smart. And as someone who d- thinks about recruitment and thinks about like how creative ways to get these like kind of difficult to reach groups, um, it was really encouraging to see that, um, right, that like someone could do this and be successful. And um, one of the other things before we like dig too much into the article or into the research itself. I thought it was really interesting how he provided several examples of how video games can be used to change attitudes, how they can be, video games can be used as learning tools. And I know that um, actually uh, uh, a researcher that I used to work with back in a previous life um, used, uh, developed a video game for um, physicians in hospitals to like learn how to respond to different things and like pick up on cues. And I think like that is like such a cool thing, especially, uh, you know, the generation of people who grew up playing video games are now physicians. They are now the surgeons, the people who are taking care of us and using that mechanism and that thing that they grew up with and doing it well. Um, I think it's like a really cool tool. So I, I really loved that. Like I loved like, why not use video games? Like, why not use something that people are already doing as a tool? And it's not, he didn't go about creating his own video game, right? He was like, wait, right. Ever, all these people already play FIFA. So why don't I use FIFA and leverage what already exists to figure out um, if that's changed how people think about soccer in the U.S., which I think, I think was like really innovative. Um, okay. So, so the, he asked three research questions, and I think it's important that we just kind of touch on these briefly. Um, so the first research question, will people who play FIFA report more uh, favorable attitudes and affinity for soccer compared to those who don't play? So that's the first one. The second research question, for people who play FIFA, um, does their attitude towards soccer and their affinity towards soccer relate to their engagement with the game um, of, of soccer? And uh, for gamers, does, does, um, pre, does the predisposition to playing FIFA, or before playing FIFA, re- relate the amount of time that they spend playing the game? Um, 
Oh, sorry. It's a soccer predisposition. There we go. So, like, do people who already love soccer, are they the ones that tend to be playing soccer more often? Which I thought that was really important because when I read his first two research questions, I was like, wait a second. You're missing the most important question, which is this idea of reverse causality, right? So it's not just that FIFA is causing people, and, and he doesn't talk about causing versus correlation, right? But it's not that people who play FIFA are more likely uh, to like soccer. But what about the people who already like soccer and the reason that they're playing FIFA is because they like soccer. So he gets to that in the third group. So I was like pretty impressed. He got 683 people to respond. Yeah, that's a lot. That is a and, like, lot. The, the age range, like people in their 60s are are playing or, you know what I mean, and answering these questions. Um I thought it was sort of funny that when you did your like entrance interview and they're trying to, you know, find your predisposition, they tried to hide that this was about FIFA. But I would assume like, I don't know how you craft your message then to get these individuals to come and not know that it's about soccer and or FIFA. So for me, I was just like, well, how did you do that? Like, why did you bother to hide this? Wouldn't they already know? Like I got I went down a little bit of a mind rabbit hole over um, how exactly that would work. But you're right. The breadth of people that he got to participate in this really fascinated me because you would have thought that at the beginning, like, it's going to be such a small sample size and either you're going to see a huge skew one way or the other. And it's just going to be like a, a no duh kind of paper. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. One thing I, um, noted is that the oldest person who participated was 89 years old which i was like impressive uh, but that i guess that doesn't necessarily mean that the 89 year old was playing fifa um but yeah no i think that's an excellent point and i was hoping that he would have included the entirety of his questionnaire in the appendix of the paper which it's not uncommon to do that it's not it's not something that everyone does, but it's not uncommon mm-hmm. to have that happen. And he didn't. He only included the questions uh, that were specifically about soccer. But I thought that was interesting, too, that he was trying to mask the fact that this was about soccer and that this was about FIFA, which, you know, one of the things that we think about a lot in survey research is this idea of social desirability bias, that if, if the person who is taking the survey thinks they know what you're asking about and what you want them to say, they're more likely to respond in that way. And so I can understand oh, from that I didn't perspective. Think about that. Right. So I can understand from that perspective why you would want to kind of have some, not misleading, but kind of like general questions and things like that. Um, I was hoping for more of an example, mostly because I'm just like curious, you know, and like, are, were there ways that he had checks like built into his survey? So sometimes people will build in like questions or things just to make sure that people are actually paying attention. Um, and he didn't say that he did any of that, which is fine. Um, but yeah, so like social desirability bias is probably the reason why, although like when it comes to how how much you well, I guess how much you play video games there can be a stigma for that like you know if you're playing if you're admitting to playing 
I don't know, 40, 50 hours of video games every week, you know, there's probably some stigma related to that. Um, but who knows? Uh, but anyway, okay, so then we get to the results. And Liz, this is where I had some problems. Really? It's three paragraphs. It's so short. Oh. <laughs> I'm not a researcher, so I was fine because <laughs> it was the only three paragraphs I didn't understand. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, like, so that's that is not anything about like the writing or whatever. I just always get confused when we get to this point. I have to do a lot of remembering and and Googling to actually properly interpret results. This is all a me problem and not a researcher problem. Um but yeah, I don't know. Like, I was fine with it. I liked going back towards the discussion of, of what it meant. Yes. Okay. So just real quickly. And also, I just, I wanted a table. That's what I wanted. I wanted a table or like a, some visualization. Or, a, or a graph of some kind. That's, that's really what I wanted. I was like, but, but where's the table? Where's the graph to help me understand? Um, because I think n- numbers sometimes in a narrative form, like in, in sentences, can be really difficult to read. Can confirm. Can confirm. <laughs> um, okay. So so what uh, he found here, um, and he just did some like really basic stuff. And my guess is that this study and this like survey research that he did is... Um, preliminary information for a larger future study that is my guess (laughs) um more papers to read more papers to read i could be totally wrong and um you know jeffrey if you're listening and i'm totally wrong please let us know uh and we'll correct ourselves okay Um, but if we're right we want to read your paper but if we're right you can come on to soccer better and talk about it okay so um, there were di- significant differences in attitudes towards soccer between um, people who played soccer and people who did not play soccer. So that's like, or who played FIFA and those who did not play FIFA. So that like kind of makes sense. Um, uh, the non-gamers. Um, and then... Here. I should have like written this down. It is really see. This is why I want a table because also it's like you know all the words. Um, but uh, engagement with the game did not uh, correlate significantly with soccer attitude or with soccer affinity. So, um, like the amount of which time is, that you play, right? Which is what I thought was interesting. That it didn't matter. You were just as likely to play the game. For the same period of time, whether or not you previously were engaged with soccer. Um, and whether or not you were um, previously interested in soccer, you were just as likely to be engaged with the game. Um, and, you know, going back up to stuff that I reported earlier, now with a grain of salt because it came from EA Sports, but based on, you know, information that they received was that if you played FIFA, you were more likely to be interested in some of the soccer parts of it. And if you watch soccer, then you were more interested in FIFA because this is never in a loop as you talked about how those are interconnected. Um, but I was really surprised that a 
predisposition to soccer didn't mean you played more FIFA or that you felt a larger connection to it, that that wasn't the same. Yeah, and I wonder if that predisposition somehow... Like, I I wonder if, like, that predisposition led to, like, more... Like, higher participation in soccer-related activities outside of FIFA. Which, like, I don't think that was... I mean, I didn't see that captured, like, fully captured here. Um, But I think some of the other articles that... You know, some of the articles that we talked about in Season 2, and I'm, I'm blanking on them right now, but you know, talked about engagement with soccer. And so are you going to pick up? Are you doing some of these other things? Are you engaged in supporters groups? You know, I think there are so many, you know, are you coaching? You know, if you have kids or, you know, in your community, are you like doing coaching certifications and things like that? Um, I thought that was really um, interesting. Okay, so let's move into the discussion. I have a couple points here that, or one point in particular that that really stood out to me. But Liz, I have been talking way too much in this episode, way too much. Um, so what was the thing that stood out to you? I think this is one of the papers that is most easily transferable to how we can soccer better. Um, there are some that are like, bright line ideas and they involve the youths and changing your participation and um, just, you know, things that are are way bigger picture and and change your life a little bit. I could change my life just a tiny bit and really implement some of the things I learned from this paper. My biggest takeaway was that if I can incorporate engagement and learning into tailgate somehow, then people who bring their friends who have no idea about soccer, people who bring their significant others who have no idea about soccer, but are like, oh yeah, a tailgate sounds fun, or on 4th of July, oh yeah, fireworks sound fun, if they're there for those reasons, if you can just sneak in a little bit of learning so that they understand something, and then they they learn a little bit, they get some pageantry, you get this big entrance, you're sitting in a supporter section, and then you watch a game, And even if you only understand two minutes on the field because you were talking about it previously, I think that is a great loop that you can start and bring in a new fan and make someone feel welcome where they wouldn't have previously. Yeah, no, I think that's a great, I think that's a great observation. And I didn't think about it in that way. I think one of the things um, that, you know, even just, just building on that, thinking about, so just kind of as a, as a background, Liz and I support a second division team here in the U S here in, here in Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh river hounds. And, um, like just thinking about like, okay, what, like, are there like FIFA tournaments that are happening in in Pittsburgh? I know with like COVID that kind of changes a lot of, a lot of, I mean, that changes everything, but in, normal non-pandemic times right are there like fifa tournaments or are there like fifa groups that are that are occurring in pittsburgh that could be a way to engage a different group of people in the game right to get them to a local sporting event or um like to a game or to like meet some of the players or like some of that thing you know i i think right it's like this different it's 
maybe it is a different group of people, maybe it's not a different group of people, but finding ways to leverage the video games that people are already playing to get them engaged in the real life game. And then you can have that learning thing um, and that, you know, learning uh, loop uh, for engagement, which I think would be so cool. I don't know if you know this, but Pittsburgh has a an esports league. So there is probably a group of people who are playing FIFA who maybe don't know that um, they would be more than welcome with the hooligans who are part of <laughs> the supporter section. So that I mean that's a great idea. It's a an immediate thing that we could do whenever um, we get back into the stands. Yeah. Yeah, and something else that I thought about, I don't I don't know if you thought about it. Um, so I don't know if you remember, oh gosh, I don't know what episode this was, but in the second season, the episode talking about marketing and internationalization uh, and thinking, right, so the article talked about different strategies that soccer teams could use to increase their, uh, like, fan base on an international basis. And one of the things that I was thinking about and that struck me is, and and it's interesting because the title has American exceptionalism in it, right? But I wonder if a different marketing strategy needs to happen here in the U.S. to get more people engaged in soccer. And it would seem that like based on this research that, you know, maybe FIFA and through video games is a way to get more people engaged in soccer. And certainly they talked about, you know, he talked about that in some of the discussion of this paper. But um, yeah, I don't know. It just kind of like struck me, oh, let, you know, why don't we try something different here in the U.S., right? Like, yeah, maybe there's like marketing that works for you know, FC Barcelona or Chelsea or Arsenal or whomever, like pick your European team. But, you know, maybe for soccer teams in the U.S., that looks a little different. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's something to definitely consider that it's not going to be, and it's not going to be the traditional U.S. soccer fans. I think that there's been a number of things where they're like, well, just go on to a college campus and grab some kids who like to, you know, have fun at a game. Um, that's proven not to work on, on many aspects. Um, the answer is also not, well, all of these people are at the pub and they watch EPL in the mornings. And so obviously they're the people that you want to outreach to. Um, there is some soccer snobbery that is still very prevalent. Um, and I think that just because you watch soccer from your home country doesn't always mean that you want to watch U.S. soccer because you don't have that same connection. So I I agree that this brings to light the fact that we can outreach to another group of individuals who may not have um, the same kind of soccer history and the same kind of barriers to watching U.S. soccer or to watching local soccer. So that's a place that is a place to start thinking about, like, how can you make those connections that are, you know, uniquely informed because you understand soccer, but also you're part of a local community. So, I mean, I think we're very lucky. Pittsburgh has a bunch of boroughs, so you're often connected to a smaller community, a smaller city. Like, it doesn't have the same feel 
um, they think some other large cities does. So yeah, I think that's a really, really great point. Yeah. I mean, that, that was my main takeaway. Those are my, those are my thoughts. I thought that, I mean, I thought this was like a great find, Liz, um, you know, and thank you for reaching out to, uh, uh, the author and getting the paper. So I'm excited. I'm, I'm glad we got to talk about it. And it's definitely something that like, I wouldn't have thought about before. And I think that's one of the things that's really great for me about research and about science is that it's, it's all these brains, right. That get together, you know, across the field and they think about problems and they think about different topics from such different perspectives and that's how we get these like super interesting research articles and research questions that from my own perspective I wouldn't have thought about um which and then we get all these follow-up questions which I'm super interested in and I hope that other people are reading are like oh you know what I'm interested in that because of x y and z and like they take it and they run and um it's just this it feeds on each other and you can end up with such a huge body of work, which I hope is where some of this is going, um, you know, for not just soccer, but like, I think there's a whole slew of sports related research that can be done. That isn't just how do we make sure that they are top performers? How do we make sure that they're the fastest? How do we make sure that we're not, you know, losing them to, you know, failing out of school. Like these really superficial questions. Like I want to dig into these deeper questions that have to do um, with, I mean, societal issues we've discussed to some extent, um, growth issues, psychology. There's just a lot going on uh, that I think can be explored. And I think some of these articles are really starting to touch on that. Um, and I hope that every person has a moreover and then some additional questions and additional research that they're interested in or that they want to throw out to the world. Yes. That, I think that's a great place to end. Although I did realize that at the beginning, I didn't say that this article was published in 2020, uh, the great year that was 2020. And it was published in the journal Soccer and Society. So I do want to give credit where credit is due. Um, and of course, all that information will be in the show notes uh, and where you can find this article as well. Uh, all right, Liz, is there anything else that you have? No, I I loved this article. Again, um, Dr. K Dr. Casing was very nice and very pleasant to interact with. I hope that maybe we get some feedback from him. Oh, yes, I'm sure we did it all wrong. <laughs> all right, well, thank you, Liz, and I will see you next time for more Soccer Better. Bye. Bye. Thank you to our host, the Beautiful Game Network. BGN covers teams across the MLS, USL Championship, and USL League One. Check out podcasts and written content at bgn.fm. You can follow us on Twitter at BGN Soccer Better. Head over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, or wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to the show and leave us a review. Otherwise, let us know what you thought about this episode and be sure to share it with a friend. Remember, you can always soccer better. The music in our show is Empty Rooms by Booze Radley. Thanks to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier to USL, MLS, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas? 
Looking for a unique, completely custom kit for your youth club, Sunday league squad, adult, or even pro team? Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Let them help you design your custom kit today at IcarusFC.com.